Well, it's great to have all of you back here this morning. Um, I've been preaching here every Sunday to a empty auditorium, and it's been an experience to say the least. Um, so I am very thankful to have uh, people to preach to this morning. So uh, not only am I, am I new to the preaching thing, but I'm also, uh, it was an adjustment period trying to learn to preach to a camera in the back of the room as opposed to all of you wonderful people this morning. So thank you so much for being here. I know things look and feel a little bit different this morning, um, but we're getting one step closer and closer to being back to uh, uh, some sense anyway of normalcy. So I'm really excited about that. We're going to continue this morning with our series on building resilient disciples. And this is something we've been unpacking um, over the course of the last about two months now. Um, And it's something we're going to continue to unpack a little bit further here this morning. Now, a couple weeks back, you may remember we did a kind of an offshoot sermon called Radical Love. And we talked about um, the need now more than ever to love one another. And we talked about and we looked at places in the Bible where it showed us the importance of loving one another. We're going to kind of do um, another version of that here this morning, but we're going to look at the way that Christ taught the apostles and his disciples to love other people. And as we know, he did that primarily through not only his words, but also his actions as well. So that's what we're going to unpack a little bit this morning, because we talked about the need to love, and we talked about the importance of love. Today, we're going to kind of talk about the how do we go about doing that, it, it breaks my heart the things that are going on in our country right now. Um, the, the George Floyd murder and all of just the, the craziness that's going on. And I've been trying so hard to process, I guess is the word that I'm looking for. Be, because so many things that are happening and even some things that have happened since then just don't make a lot of sense to us. And as Christians, I'm like, how do we process this and where do we go from here. Now, of course, I don't have all the answers. I wish I did. And if I did, trust me, I'd share them with everyone. But what I do know is it starts with love. And that's not the only answer, but that's where we start. And as Christians, we are called to love absolutely everybody. And I think that this is something that's getting lost right now in our society, is that everyone was made in God's image. If they don't look like you, and they don't have the same background as you, and they don't live where you live, and they don't vote how you vote, doesn't mean that they're not worthy of God's love and our love. And that's why I think it's important for us to take another look today at how Jesus teaches us to love. So we're going to unpack that here a little bit more this morning. Maybe. Maybe we will, and maybe we won't. Hold on just a second. All right. So again, we're unpacking this question of how did Jesus train his disciples to be more like God and to love? And I think it starts with the woman at the well, because I think this is such an important example for us of how Jesus taught the disciples to love. Now, see, we have to remember time and place, because in the Bible, we can't just look at Scripture and take it at face value. We have to really dig into the context and to understand why this would have been a big deal. Because ordinarily, you're thinking, okay, so he talked to to, to a woman at the well. What's the big deal? Well, if we look at the time and the place, that a Jewish man would probably not have even traveled through Samaria. They would have gone the roundabout way. They would have gone the long way, and they would have avoided that at all costs. Nevertheless, for a Jewish man during this time to sit and have a conversation with a Samaritan woman. 
Now, I love what Mark chapter 4, verse 27 reads when it says, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? So we have to remember that as Jesus is traveling with his disciples, not only did he purposely go to Samaria, but he's also making it a point to use this woman in a very powerful way. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time to unpack this entire story of the woman at the well. And I think that it's a pretty familiar story to most of us. So we're not going to take the time to read the entire story. But the story goes a little something like this, that Jesus meets this woman at the well and starts talking to her in a way that humanized her. And what I mean by that, and if you look, I kind of put on the screen for you there, it says, which means to see, acknowledge, respect, and honor the person in front of you, no matter what they have done or how different they may be from you. It is is to acknowledge that that they bear God's image. See, he didn't avoid this woman. And he actually used her in a very powerful way. Because when you look at the story, not only did Jesus take the time to talk to her, but he invested in her, despite knowing her background. And if you remember this story, the woman had had multiple husbands and was living with a man who wasn't currently her husband. So she was, in all aspects, a sinner and someone that he probably should have avoided, but he didn't. And not only did he spend the time to talk to her, he spent the time to tell her about the true living water and that if she would drink from that, she would never thirst again. So see, Jesus took the time to not only humanize her, but he took the time to explain to her how she could make it to heaven. Even though, again, in theory, he should have never been talking to her in the first place. But this is a powerful example. And not only does he talk to her and does he convince her to drink from the living water, which of course is the gospel, which of course is a relationship with Jesus Christ, but he also used her to save her entire town or her entire village. Because if you know the story, he sends her off to go tell his story in town, and she comes back and brings the whole town, and they end up believing in God. What a perfect example, and you'll see this is going to kind of be a theme as we continue to unpack this, He went somewhere he probably shouldn't have been, according to the customs and the norms of the time. He talked to someone he probably shouldn't have been talking to, and he shared the gospel with her and then used her in a very powerful way. And that's exactly what we're called to do. And see, I think this is one of the things that we're forgetting right now, is that we need to be having these conversations with people that we feel like maybe don't look like us, don't think like us, don't talk like us, and we've shied away from that. But as Christians, we're not called to do that. We're called to share Jesus and to love everybody. And Jesus shows us how to do that over and over again throughout the scriptures. The feeding of the 5,000. And again, I'm not going to read the whole story of this because I think this is a fairly familiar story to all of us. But I want to point out that when Jesus was preaching and teaching on the hillside, it was starting to get late, and the disciples started to get worried. How are we going to feed these people? Because remember, this story is called the feeding of the 5,000, but if you read the text, it's 5,000 plus women and children, and we don't know the exact count, 
but we know that it's even more than 5,000. So the apostles are getting worried. They're like, oh, what are we going to do? Do we just send these people off to town so they can go buy some food? We've got to do something here. We've got to feed people. And Jesus, in Mark chapter 6, verse 37, says, But he answered, You give them something to eat. Now put yourselves in the apostles' position for just a second. How do you think they were feeling right about that time? You think they were probably looking at each other like, uh, I don't have any food. Do you got any food? What are we going to do here? We don't have enough money to go buy all these people food. But Jesus is making a point here. And the point that he's making is that their work is the same as his work. Just like our work is the same. We need to feed those who God has placed in front of us and show them love. And that's the point he's trying to make to the apostles. He's trying to say, look, I've given you all these people and we have an opportunity to bless them and to feed them and to take care of not only their spiritual needs, but their physical needs. But he does it out of love. They easily could have just said, you know what? Hey, we're done for today, guys. Go get some food. Have a great night. But they didn't. And see, Jesus asked them kind of a rhetorical question, right? Because Jesus knew the situation. He knew they couldn't feed these people. But he says, hey, why don't you go give them something to eat? Because he's forcing them to think outside the box. And how do we take care of other people? And how do we love other people? And that's exactly what Jesus does over and over again. I want to look at another story, and this one is not so familiar to all of us, so I'm actually going to read this story with you guys. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Mark chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1. And this is a story about the demon-possessed man. This is one of the crazier stories, in my opinion, of the New Testament. And if you're familiar with this story, you know what I'm talking about. And if you were here uh, a couple months back when John Reed was with us, he actually talked through this story a little bit more in detail. But I do want to read this story with you because, again, I think this is one that most people may or may not be familiar with. So let's pick up in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. It says, They went across the lake to the region of the Garcenes. It says, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. It says, This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with chains. It says, For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. It says, No one was strong enough to subdue him. It says, Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. It says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. It says, he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? It says, in God's name, don't torture me. As we continue in verse 8, it says, for Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirits. It says, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? says, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. Pick up in verse 11, it says, a large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. The demon begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. It says, he gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. 
It says, The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Again, to me, this is like one of the crazier stories in the New Testament because we've got this situation, right, where Jesus arrives on a boat. Now, again, let's think about the time and the place. At this time, someone who was of the Jewish faith would not have gone anywhere near a cemetery. He would not have gone anywhere near a tomb. He would not have gone anywhere near a demon-possessed person or anywhere near a pig. This is, these are things that were considered to be unclean. So by all rights, Jesus should have never been there. He should have never stepped foot there. He should have never gotten off the boat. But he did. He got off the boat and he healed this demon-possessed man that everyone else had just written off and left for dead. It's a powerful message here because Jesus is showing us that sometimes we have to go to the places we don't want to go. We have to deal with the people that we don't want to deal with out of love, just like he does for us. Because, see, Jesus comes after us even when we don't deserve it. And it, throughout the New Testament, over and over and over again, Jesus goes after the people that, in theory, he shouldn't be going after. The sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. It didn't matter to Jesus. He went after everyone, and he did it with love. And that's my point this morning, is we've got to go after everyone and show everyone love, regardless of whether they think the way that we do. It's not about what we think. It says, so what do we do? It says, step out of the question, how am I doing? And step into the question, how am I doing loving others? See, sometimes we ask this question, how am I doing? Because we are a very selfish people, I'll just say it, right? It's a very common thing. You go to your boss and you say, how am I doing? And you go to your spouse and you say, how am I doing? And you go to your kids and you say, how am I doing? And it's all about me. How am I doing? Am I succeeding? Am I doing the things that I need to be doing? Am I being successful? Is my job going well? How am I doing? We've all been there. Right? We've all been there. We've all gone to our boss or our significant other or whoever it may be and said, hey, how am I doing? Right? Because we crave feedback. And we crave this, this, this selfish desire of it's all about me. When you go to the bookstore, the self-help section is ginormous, right? Yes, there are still bookstores, kids, I promise you. It's not all on the internet. Most of it's on the internet. But the self-help section is ginormous, right? Because it's all about me and how do I help me and how do I get better? And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with wanting to better yourself. That's not what I'm talking about. But when we stop asking, how am I doing? And we start asking, how am I loving? See, now it's not about me anymore. It's how am I doing for others? How am I doing to others? How am I carrying out God's plan for my life? Am I carrying it out by showing love to others? Or am I so worried about me? And am I so worried about being right? And am I so worried about being inside my nice little comfortable bubble that it doesn't matter? It kills me to see all of the fighting that's going on right now. Left versus right. Politics. 
Even with this, this, the whole murder of George Floyd, people are on two sides of the coin. It was a senseless tragedy versus, oh, maybe he had it coming. It's sad. And I hope that as Christians, we can take a better view of this and see the human side of this and see that we need to be showing love. And now more than ever, we need to love one another and come together instead of being split apart. We're in an election year, and that's, that's, no, that's no secret, and I'm not going down a political road, so don't tune me out. But everything you see right now is trying to divide us. This side is saying, oh, don't you dare vote for that guy. He does this, this, and this. And this side is going, oh, don't you dare vote for that guy because he does this, this, and this. And we can't, we can't prevent that kind of stuff that's going on in the world from trying to divide us. But what we can control is our reaction to that. I've seen brothers and sisters, even within our church, fighting right now and arguing right now and forgetting to show love to one another. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we all have to think alike, and I'm not even saying we all have to agree. But we can agree in love, and we can disagree in love. I don't have to necessarily agree with everything that you say and do. But as my brother and sister, and as someone who's made in God's image, I still love you, even though maybe I don't agree with you. Loving others is the sign that we love God. Transformation is always measured in terms of how we love others. It's really easy to say, of course I love God. I don't think anybody in this room is going to say, no, I don't love God. It's very easy to say that I'm a Jesus follower. And I think most of you, if I asked you that question this morning, would probably say, well, of course I'm a Jesus follower. I wouldn't be sitting here if I wasn't. But are your actions and your words and your deeds backing that up? Because, see, that's the difference in what we've been talking about for weeks now with this idea of resilient disciples. The resilient disciple doesn't just say, yes, I'm a Jesus follower, and yes, I love God. But they try to live that out in every decision that they make, in everything that they say and that they do. Because guess what? We can say we love God all we want, but if we don't truly love everyone in that agape love kind of way, then we're not showing God that we love him. And he knows. God knows the difference, guys. He knows the difference. He can see our hearts. He knows when we're truly showing love to others or when we're going, eh, I know I'm supposed to love others, but that guy over there, no, 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 no. I'm not going to show love to that person. So we've got to start asking that question, how am I doing loving others? Not how am I doing. That's what I want us to focus on this morning. Loving others is the sign that we love God. Transformation is always measured in terms of how we love. Jesus' notion of love is not just some theoretical concept, but rather a love that concretely engages a person's mind, heart, and soul. This, this, this idea of agape love and this idea of loving people like Jesus loves people, it's not a theory. 
right? I'm back in school and a lot of what we talk about is, is theories and ideas and concepts. It's not a concept. It's truly loving other people the way that God loves us. And guess what, guys? We're not always easy to love. Right? Am I right? We're not always easy to love. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. We're not always easy to love, right? Think about this from God's perspective, okay? Think about this from God's perspective for just a minute. I love God, and I know that God loves me. But I probably make it really difficult sometimes, because guess what? I screw up every day. And if we all take an honest look at ourselves, we all screw up every day. But he still loves us. When we do things that we know we shouldn't do, he still loves us. And that's the example that we have. So when we start to say things like, I'm not going to love that person because they're an XYZ political party or because they believe in this or they believe in that. Well, guess what? What if God did that to us? What if every time we said or did something contrary to God's word, God just went, done, I don't love you anymore. He doesn't do that, and thank goodness he doesn't. He sent his son so that we wouldn't have to be persecuted for every mistake that we make. But it starts with love. Where the love of God is present, miracles follow. Love isn't the only answer. And I, and I don't want you to hear that today. Because we can love everybody with open arms as much as we can. But the, the 60 people, 70 people in this auditorium, is that going to make a difference? Of course it is. Is it the answer? No, but it's a start. Because as Christians, we've got to start somewhere. We can't just sit back and say, well, let the world sort itself out. It'll all get right sooner or later. No, we've got to show the love of God. And when I think of this statement, I think of the, the woman with the blood flow. And the scripture is escaping me. But you know the story. She, she reached out and she grabbed Jesus' hem, as he, hem of, his, of his garment as he walked by. And just with the touch of his garment, she was healed. And Jesus spun around and said, wait, who did that? God's love was present and miracles happened. And we can look throughout scripture to see examples of when God's love is present, miracles happen. We've got to show that love. And if we can start to do that, I believe that miracles can still happen. Because we've got to be ambassadors for Christ. Right? We've got to be the ambassadors for Christ. Because if we don't do it, who's going to? If we don't set the standard, if we don't go against culture, if we don't show everyone love, who's going to do it? It says, when we obey the gospel, he places the ring on our finger, and he calls us to make the reign of God present for others, just as he did. And when I think of this, I think of the story of the prodigal son. Right? You remember what happened when the prodigal son came home, and he placed the ring on his finger? And that ring in those times was symbolic. We do the same thing. See, when we give our lives to Christ, when we truly believe in the gospel, when we truly believe that Jesus died for us and we're buried in baptism, he puts the ring on our finger. But now we've got to go out and share that 
with everyone else. It says the ring of God's blessings is also the ring that empowers us to love all people. See, once we have that ring on our finger that he gives us, that symbolic ring that says, I'm the adopted son or I'm the adopted daughter of the one true king, that empowers us to go out and do his work. It empowers us. He's adopted us. He wants us to go out and continue the things that he started through his son. And brothers and sisters, if we don't do that, who's going to? If we don't take it upon ourselves to say, look, we've got to continue to love everyone, to continue the work of the kingdom, who's going to do it? We are. We have got to do it. And it starts with love. We're going to look at loving the marginalized. And this goes all the way back to Isaiah. So we're going to take it old school. We're going to take it all the way back to the Old Testament. And we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 58, starting in verse 6. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6. Otherwise, it is on the screen for you as well. But this isn't just a New Testament concept. Yes, in the New Testament is where we see the examples of Jesus living this out in his everyday life. And we see the examples of the apostles living this out in their everyday lives. But it really goes all the way back to the beginning. Because remember, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the Israelites. And we're talking about the Old Testament. Now, in this time, in this place, right, they did a really good job of pretending to love God. They did a fantastic job of pretending to love God. They fasted, not for the right reasons. They said these phenomenal prayers, not for the right reasons. And they claimed to love God. And they put on this show that they loved God. But let's see what Isaiah chapter 58 says. It says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to lose the chains of injustice and to untie the cord of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke says it is not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter sorry is it not not it is not is it not it says when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn them away from your own flesh and blood as we continue it says then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. It says, then you will call, and the Lord will answer. It says, you will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. It says, if you do away with your yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness 
and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. It says, He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. It says, You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Verse 12 says, Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will rise up the age-old foundations. It says, you will be called repairer of the broken walls, restorer of the streets with dwelling. It says, if you want to experience the fullness of your own salvation in God, focus your energy by loving others, especially the forgotten, the lonely, and the marginalized. I love that passage so much because it speaks to everything that's going on right now. Because, see, God knew the types of things that we're going to encounter and the types of things that we're going to deal with. And he also knew that when we're talking about this idea of loving everyone, that that's not part of our human nature. Right? It's not part of our human nature to love everyone. Our human nature is to love those who are like me. But see, that's not what Jesus did, and that's not what God calls us to do. So it takes time, and it takes work, and it takes training to build those muscles of cultural discernment to say, look, I'm going to love everyone. And that's exactly what he's talking about all the way back in Isaiah. When he talks about feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and giving shelter to those that don't have shelter. There's no qualifications in there. It doesn't say feed the hungry, but only if they agree with your political views. It doesn't say feed the hungry only if they do the things that you do. It doesn't say give shelter to those in need only if they look like you. No. It says feed everyone, and then you can truly own your salvation. You see, Jesus didn't wait for the disciples until they were ready. And this is something I talk to people about all the time. They say, oh, I'm not ready to do that. I talk to my youth group kids all the time. You share Jesus at school? Oh, I'm not ready to do that. I'm not ready to do that. Well, how do we get ready to do that? We pray to God for the words to say and for the strength and to be open-minded enough to love everyone. And that's where it starts. And it's not always easy. And it's not always comfortable. And sometimes we have to have hard conversations. But better to have hard conversations and show the love of Jesus than to shy away from those conversations because we don't want to do it because it's hard. So here's your takeaways. Here's what, if you heard nothing else, these are the things that I want you to walk away with today. You have to learn to live in the love of God. We have to understand the love that God has for us and that we are all children of God. And then you have to move and act even before it's fully formed in you. Because, see, we're all at different places in our walks. Some of us may be brand new Christians, 
And some of us may have been Christians for 40, 50, 60 years. But we can't wait. And I think now more than ever, with the craziness that's going on in this world, we can't wait. And we can't count on someone else to do it. Because, see, Jesus spoke out for the marginalized. And we have got to do the same thing. We've got to love everyone. We've got to stop doing this whole division, this whole I don't love them because. Because that's not what God does to us. And imagine the world that we would be in and the hurt that we would be in if God did the same thing to us that we do to other people. It starts and it ends with love. So maybe you're here this morning and you've never joined this family that we've been talking about and that you've never truly found your place in God's family. Maybe you've never had that opportunity to be baptized for the remission of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have an opportunity to do that here this morning. Or maybe you're struggling and you need help and you need prayers from our church. Just as God loves us, we love you, and we're happy to be here for you, to be here with you, to pray with you, to hold your hand, and to help you see God's love. In just a moment, Brandon's going to come up and sing another song. If we can help you in any way, if you have a desire to be baptized, please feel free to come forward as we stand together and as we sing. As I come into your presence, past the gates of grace, into your sanctuary till we're standing face to face i look upon your countenance i see the fullness of your grace and i can only bow down